Hey gang, Ross Brand here for StreamYard Connect. We're going to talk a little bit about gear, some big news from Amazon regarding live streaming, and we've got a great panel to talk SEO. Uh, you asked for a panel, we got you a panel, it's going to be great. Stay tuned, let's start the show. Hey gang, welcome to StreamYard Connect. I'm Ross Brand. We're here every Wednesday, 2 p.m. Eastern on the StreamYard Facebook page and across social media. And I want to start out mentioning that when I've gone live doing this show, I've always made an effort to use only resources, only tools that are included within StreamYard. So that way, anybody watching this show could look at it and say, I can do that, or I can learn how to do that. Um, StreamYard provides so many really awesome tools that you can use in order to host your show, in order to produce it, makes it easy to bring on guests. Today, I want to talk a little bit about how you can also use StreamYard with some very advanced, sophisticated tools in order to add other dimensions to your broadcast. We have a great panel coming up. We're going to talk SEO. There's also some huge news about Amazon and live streaming, which we'll get into in, in just a couple minutes. Uh, but I have a new piece of gear, and I want to talk about it because for those who've been live streaming a long time and they're using StreamYard and they're wondering, how does StreamYard work if I want to bring in some other gear. I want to bring in another uh, another way to bring in my video, for example. I want to do certain changing of shots. And one of the reasons that I've picked up this new piece of gear, and I'll show it to you right here, uh, it's called the ATEM Mini Pro, is that when I do multicam or even just bringing in... Uh, even just bringing in a mirrorless or DSLR camera to my computer, it, it brings with it a lot of CPU usage. Now I'm able to offload that. I can have multiple cameras, and the output comes to StreamYard as, as a webcam. So basically, the same way that I would choose either my computer's built-in webcam or I would choose an external webcam, or even a capture card from a, a DSLR or mirrorless camera, now I just choose the Blackmagic A10 Mini. And I'm able to have a multi-view monitor in which I can see some different shots. Right now, the two shots that I have are myself and <laughs> the monitor, but there's also an ability to play media. So while I was showing this as an overlay... I could also bring it up as a media file within the ATEM Mini. Uh, and so it combines together the, these different tools. Uh, you can really do a, a pretty sophisticated broadcast and take advantage when you bring your video. So basically my Switch produced video into StreamYard and then I can add all the usual elements that I add within StreamYard, like the video clips that I was playing. Uh, I can add I can add banners. 
such as if you'd like to use StreamYard and you're not using it, shameless plug, head on over to LivestreamUniverse.com slash StreamYard, LivestreamUniverse.com slash StreamYard. I can use a ticker and put the same information out there. Uh, background, screen share, all the different things that we love to do with StreamYard, and most particularly bringing in multiple guests without needing another app to download, without needing to tax my computer by using some other app to bring in that conversation. I just send my guests a link, and it's easy for them. They show up five to ten minutes before the show. We test the audio and the connection, and we're, we're really good to go that way. So uh, it's really possible to do a lot within StreamYard itself, but you can also add other sophisticated broadcast tools and it works great with StreamYard and you have the ability to bring in your comments from multiple destinations. Uh, somebody asked, would that work with the free version of StreamYard? Free to laugh now. Uh, yes, it would uh, because you're choosing a camera source just as you would if you were streaming with the free version. Now, some of the video clips, the overlays, and things that I'm doing within StreamYard, you can't do all of those things. Uh, and of course, I'm using StreamYard for the green screen. This A10 Mini Pro has green screen capability, but there's a lot that would go into learning how to use that. I can basically, with a couple of clicks and one, one little slider, set my green screen up and uh, have my background and everything set to go. So I uh, wanted to talk about the A10 Mini Pro a little bit. It's a, it's a super cool device, and it's just an example of how you can add hardware as well as software. Um, sort of some of my shows, not so much for this one, but for other ones, I've used uh, the Wirecast virtual cam. And so that's another way, if you want to bring in multi-cameras, you can bring that in as a virtual cam into StreamYard. Again, it's just bringing that produced video, that one output feed, and selecting it as your camera within StreamYard. So uh, that's where we are, the ATEM Mini Pro StreamYard, uh, working well together. And let's get into the news. There's a lot going on, including some new features with StreamYard, and I want to talk a little bit about those uh, as we get set for our panel coming up in just a couple of minutes. Um, as you know, StreamYard, the three pillars, ease of use, stability, and professional-looking streams that guide all the decisions about new features that StreamYard makes, making the platform easy for new folks to use. It looks professional right out of the box, and of course, the ability to bring on up to 10 people on camera and still have it hold its quality is amazing. You can go to Facebook Live, LinkedIn Live, YouTube Live, Periscope, which gets you on Twitter or your Twitch channel. And there's also custom RTMP. So if you don't see a destination among those that you want to go to, as long as you can get a stream key from the destination, you can enter that into StreamYard and you're able to go live that way from StreamYard. And speaking of destinations, the big news is you can now go on the pro plan to up to eight destinations. It had been five destinations. It's two destinations on the basic 
plan, but on the pro plan, it's five destinations. And CEO Gage Vandentop made the announcement at the town hall Sunday night. Uh, professional users can now go live to uh, eight destinations. So um, if you weren't, if you're not on the professional plan, but previously it was five destinations, but we've bumped that up to eight destinations, which is quite a few. <laughs> it's quite a few places. Personally, uh, I don't think we'll ever be going live to eight, but I know a lot of users uh, like to go live to. Seems to be Facebook groups seems to be the most common. Like they'll be going live to four flat platforms, but they also have like four groups or something like that. They uh, they want to go live to. So we got enough requests that we wanted to uh, you know support people that wanted to do that. And while going to multiple destinations on Facebook is one way you can you take advantage of the eight destinations. Gage does say that there's sometimes it might be better to do in another way. You still have the option. I still would consider. Uh, instead of you know going live to four groups, just sharing the stream from the page into the groups, I do think that's still possibly the better option. But you can now do it if you want to go to eight. You can go to eight, and uh, some people truly do have eight platforms they're they're going to through the custom RTMP option. So yeah, if you're excited about that, if you'll actually go live to eight, uh, let us know. I'd be curious, like if you are going to eight, is it is it the Facebook groups that are making up that difference, or do you have you know some custom RTMP destinations that you're going to let us know? So with the built-in integration, your choices are Facebook page, Facebook group, Facebook profile, or any combination thereof, or multiple groups and multiple uh, pages. You shouldn't have multiple profiles, according to the terms of service. You can go to one or more Twitch channels. You can go to either your LinkedIn page, your LinkedIn event, or a LinkedIn profile. You're not able to go to more than one LinkedIn destination at a time. At least that's what I found out about a month or so ago when I tried to do that as I had been doing uh, for a few months before that. You can go to one or more YouTube channels. You can go to one or more Periscope slash Twitter accounts. And you can go, you can use uh, among your eight destinations, several custom RTMP. Uh, you could even go to eight custom RTMP destinations if you wanted to go to uh, platforms beyond the ones that are uh, have that direct integration here with StreamYard. Also, small update, if you leave a message in the private chat, there will be timestamps so you can know, for example, uh, I don't know where I'm getting this example from, but let's just say, for example, uh, somebody, one of your guests wanted to tell you your audio wasn't coming through. Well, you would know if that was two minutes ago or if that was a half an hour ago and maybe you've already solved the problem. So you know when that comes in, uh, so you can uh, use that information to help you as you produce your broadcast. So let's get to some industry news. There's some interesting things going on. And the big news, and this just came in like within the last hour and a half, is live streaming on Amazon has launched for influencers. So if you're an influencer on the Amazon program, You'll be able to earn commission and connect with your fans via live streaming. Um, this is from TalkingInfluence.com is where I saw the story. I imagine all the big tech publications will be covering this. Uh, you know you're part of the Amazon Influencer Program if you applied for it and you have a storefront. You have your own shop which people can follow it's different from your amazon profile and it's different from an affiliate uh in that you have your own shop on amazon where people can go and 
check out products. Um, this new feature will enable people to bring their products to life and connect with their fans by live streaming directly on Amazon while earning commissions from qualifying purchases of products featured in their streams. Um, influences will appear automatically on their Amazon storefront and on the Amazon Live homepage. Viewers can follow influencers to be notified via Amazon shopping app when the influencer is streaming live. And there'll be a special Amazon Live creator app, which will be free and self-service. And that should be launching, I believe, today, which will help. Uh, basically, that's how you'll go live right now. Uh, I'm sure there'll be third-party solutions and, and other things coming along. There'll be other integrations, hopefully. Uh, but that's what we have right now. So that is a huge development for live streaming, the ability for people within the Amazon Influencer Program to get on live streaming and talk about their products and services. Another thing I wanted to mention, there was an article in Retail Dive about QVC and HSN, uh, about how, you know, they've been around since the 80s doing video selling, selling on live video. Typically, they had live guests, a big production staff, and since COVID-19, they've really had to scale down. And, and with that scaling down, the guests have come in from home. So the guests have been pitching their products from home. And it turns out, not only is this much like live streaming, where many times we're in our home or office and we've put a little studio together and we're talking about our products or services, but it turns out that it's been very popular with audiences, that the downscaled, uh, smaller production and the, the guests showing a little bit from their home and getting a sense of who they are, and it's uh, lower tech, but it seems to really be appealing to audiences so think about that in that you can re recreate the pretty much the same thing that that is working for qvc and hsn you can show off your products and services talk about them answer questions from the chat and so forth uh really uh just just while you are live streaming like you always would and and this seems to be something that's working and a lot of live streamers are probably ahead of the game. As you see the news each night, you see guests come on, you see really high-paid newscasters and broadcasters, and they're struggling with uh, their audio and their video because they've never had to put a broadcast together on their own. And so uh, this is a great time for live streaming. And I want to mention one other article. It's from the Concord Monitor and they talk about all these different businesses in, in the series. And one that they focused on a, a few days ago was a video production business and content creation, photography, graphic design, and how these two guys who ran the business, basically their business went down 90% since COVID. Their names are Rory Hurley and Eddie Gomez II, and they called their business Drum Production Studio. And what happened was they realized they could turn to live streaming. And since they've done that, they've taken their video production skills and their design skills, and they've applied it using their high-quality gear that they have to doing live, skin, live stream production. And so they've been live streaming weddings and 
you know, product launches and, and different family events to big events for businesses. And they found that there's a lot of desire out there for uh, people to have live streaming production and to go high quality and to have it done for them. Uh, so they see the demand out there and apparently it's been a big help to them uh, getting their business back up. And, uh, you know, they said they believe that although more people than ever are comfortable with live streaming on their own, uh, they believe that people recognize the value of professional production and, you know, multi-camera and multiple audio inputs and just bringing a, a bigger sense to the to the production. So uh, that is what's going on in the news. And we are at StreamYard Connect every Wednesday, 2 p.m. Eastern. I'm Ross Brand. We got a great panel for you. Let me introduce them. We're going to talk about SEO for live streamers and podcasters, and then we will bring them on. Aleda Solis is a international SEO consultant, author, and speaker. She was named the European Search Personality of the Year in 2018. Got big clients, including Under Armour, Zillow, and Eventbrite. She also hosts Crawling Mondays and is the founder of her own boutique SEO organization. Brendan Mulligan is the founder of PodPage, which provides podcasters with an SEO-optimized SEO website. It's also customizable for the user. It's a cool new uh, website, and uh, I actually tried it out and have uh, StreamYard Connect up on there, actually. So uh, if you wanted to go to one place and see all the StreamYard Connect episodes and uh, particularly listen to the audio versions that's up there uh brendan has been a very successful entrepreneur he's the c he was the ceo of launch kit which was used by more than fifty thousand mobile app makers and then after that was acquired by google he moved over to google as a product lead and he's been involved in a, a lot of successful ventures and Marissa Kelly is a remote live stream producer. She's also a social media consultant. She's the founder of Live on Social Now Productions. And so she can talk about SEO from the perspective of someone who is actually producing videos for clients. And uh, we're excited to have all of these folks here. And let's bring them one by one into the action Welcome, everybody. It's great to have you on. It's such a thrill. Aleda is in the uh, upper corner, I believe. Marissa below me. And uh, Brendan is on an angle below me. I think that's how we identify people. Or I could just turn these name tags on and that might make more sense. So, uh, Brendan, I'm going to start with you because I've used your, your product and it's really cool. And... You have a, a great uh, Q and A or, or FAQ type article on that website in which you talk about SEO. Let's start with what is SEO and why should a live streamer or podcaster care about it? Uh, I, I think that SEO is essentially just how people are going to be able to find you and how easy it is to find you and making sure that you're done everything you could do. SEO stands for search engine optimization. And that really means when someone's searching for you somewhere that it's optimized where you come up, if it's relevant to the search. 
And uh, obviously there's a lot of people out there who are trying to appeal to different searches. So it's a fairly competitive thing. You have to think through to make sure that the right um, searches are resulting in you and you have to figure out, you know, how to optimize your content to be uh, for, regardless of the search engine, it could be Google, it could be Apple Podcasts, it could be, you know, depending on what the search engine is, like you just need to make sure that what the content that you're providing will lead the right people to your content, so. That's great. Aleda, mm -hmm. when you work with your clients, what are they asking for? What are their concerns when it comes to uh, improving at SEO? Indeed, well, the clients, the type of clients that I work with, they tend to, be transactional oriented, not like, and but they do have video content, for example, that tend to provide informational advice pre-sales, right? And then to right. engage the already existing customers and clients, right? So, and I, 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 it's really nice and great that Brandon talk about the different search changes because, for example, for for videos, of course, we think about YouTube and how to improve the the rankings within the YouTube search results. Uh, in that case, uh, I have particularly identified that is not only the relevance, how the video is optimized to connect with the way that the user search within YouTube, uh, the, optimizing the titles, the description, the hashtags, the tags, for example, but also the engagement and the, retas the retentions that are the signals that uh, we provide or the users provides towards the popularity and how popular is, is, is the video, right? In the case of Google, though, it's important that uh, people who do videos, they don't forget that more than 80% of videos in the Google search results carousels in the video carousels come from YouTube. So that can be an amazing additional channel to attract uh, traffic to your to your video. And and uh, so I will say it's, it's important to also to also track that and, and don't lose, you know, the vision of that too. Right, right. right. Uh, Marissa, when you produce shows or broadcasts mm -hmm. for clients, mm -hmm. what do you do as far as optimizing their videos to be found is it is it something you do on social media or is it something you do off social media to drive people either to social media or to their website to watch the shows yeah i mean um i guess i'm gonna take points from both what brendan and uh mrs solis said miss solis i i don't i forgot how to pronounce your name so i do apologize Sorry. but i didn't want to mess it up um you know, you're taking components where people are going to search for you, right? So like you have to have that baseline of even if it's your name, like someone searches your name, it's got to come up, whether it's your website, your social, whatever. That's the basic thing for SEO. And that's what a lot of people do. I think the first thing they do when they do social media. But then if they're doing a live stream and let's say like um, like she said about on YouTube, it's optimized for um um, to appear in Google search and it shows up there. Um, a lot of people will just go ahead and click, oh, I'm going to set up a live and I'm going to go live, right. not even thinking about the description that they're putting in. And as much as you can optimize it for like someone searching for it or someone searching for that topic, there's obviously tools that, that are out there and um, that can help you optimize that. But I think the very basic of explaining what that video is can be very simple when it comes to SEO, because if you're putting it on LinkedIn or YouTube or wherever you are, you want that to come up if you're talking about, a like I do a lot of sports related um, um, live shows and podcasts. So it's like, if we're talking about this specific team, 
we need to make sure that this description that you're writing out that description in StreamYard or whatever has that team's name in it. Cause it's not just video from Marissa or video from XYZ podcast. It's video from XYZ podcast about XYZ team. Right. So there's a lot of different things when it comes to like, in my opinion, that's search engine optimization in a very simple way because people just want to, click go live and I'm live. Oh yeah, I got my video. <laughs> How are people going to find it? You know, someone random can find it, find it because they're searching for a specific topic or they want to do research on the team or, you know, the team that if this is related to a podcast or um, an author or something like that. Um, I, yeah, think I, will, I will say that a very basic way to always start is with a keyword research, right? Like a, a, a top body, vidIQ, keyword tool IO, href, there are many even free tools that can provide you how right. people are searching for that particular topic that you want to talk about or product or service, right? Right, yeah. right. What's your, what's your favorite free tool? If you ever uh, just go around everybody, like one or two <laughs> tools for people who are starting out doing keyword research, what would you recommend? Um, I'll go first. I'm going to say answerthepublic.com. Um, this, uh, if you haven't heard of it, it, it basically compiles all of the, what people are searching for. Um, so if you have a keyword, like, um, you know, very niche, something like medical manufacturing, like what are people searching about that? How are they typing in these searches into the search engines? And you can cater your content around that, your descriptions, because you know, that a user is not going to necessarily type in the the medical term. They might be asking how to do something or ideas for blah, 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 blah. Right. So like thinking about yourself as a user uh, and then going and looking at what the public is saying on that website. Um, I got a lot of value recently out, out of, um, I think it's Ahrefs or Ahrefs. Um, they have a free tier and it's a, incredibly powerful tool that um, you can use for, I think, a week or so without having to pay, and then you have to upgrade. Uh, but, you know, when I think about SEO, it's I'm biased because I'm building a website platform. I think mm -hmm. a lot about structured data and structuring a website to be able to um, be in the best possible shape to receive the keywords or to show off the keywords to be able to be shown in search. And that tool just kind of went deeper than anything I'd ever seen before. So I think it's a great, great thing to try. That, that is a great, uh, Brendan, your your comment about structured data. That is everything. If you host your video yourself, which I will highly recommend, for example, and this is something that I have seen directly with clients and by my, with my own videos, right? Uh, you publish them in YouTube and by default, Google will, of course, grab those videos within the, the, the carousel, the video carousel when you search about that topic, right? But if you want to have a double dip and more maximize your visibility in those search results, you should also take the video and publish it within your website, embed it, embed it in your website as a blog post. You can you can take the the um, you know and and caption the the video and then uh, create the like and, and reformat uh, for for to make it a blog post, for example. And then when you embed it in, in your in your website, I would highly recommend to instead of using the YouTube embed to use, for example, a Wistia embed that will add by default the video object structure data that will give the signal to Google telling that that is a video object, that that is a video, and then they will show the thumbnail 
along the organic search result. So it will maximize the visibility for any page of yours that has a video embedded there. So it's a win-win. So everybody agrees that if you're doing a podcast or you're doing live stream shows or you're uploading YouTube videos that at least for the majority of the content, you should probably consider putting it on your website and having a blog post. Does everybody agree with that statement? Okay. So if you, since we're all in agreement, uh, if you have a website, particularly if you haven't thought much about SEO, how do you start to optimize your website so that people are finding those blog posts, but they're finding your website in general, and then they can, you know, obviously select and pick and choose what is of interest to them to watch and, and listen to. Yeah, SEO, it starts with the fundamentals of crawlability, indexability. You, your content needs to be reachable to, to Google. So it needs to be crawlable and indexable. And then, of course, it needs to be relevant. It needs to connect the way that people search. So again, it's critical that you do a keyword research and optimize the, the video and the blog posts and the titles, the descriptions, headings, everything towards that on, on, one, on, on one hand. And then on the other hand, uh, links especially to rank for any competitive uh, type of, of keyword is, is critical because these are actually like the votes or endorsements that Google will take into consideration to rank you uh, in a context of many other videos out there or content out there that are also relevant for you any should talk, term. You right? should talk about what you mean by links, just to be clear for everyone. Yes, well, links are like the reference references uh, that point out to your website that come from any other website. Like when you link to another website from within a blog post, for example, or a comment on a blog post, et cetera, yeah. href tags with anchor text. Sorry if I am too technical here. Right. But yes, these are seen as endorsements by Google. So you're saying getting other sites to link to your page is very important. Indeed. Yeah. <laughs> what about internal linking? I've often seen articles about SEO saying it's very important to link internally. Um, why why is that yeah it's critical because at the end and this is a problem that uh right now websites have sometimes right what the information that people links tends to be um information in 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 the blog post resources things that are useful uh, that uh, generate a lot of engagement many of these are blog posts for example but realistically a website that sells something an e-commerce for example they don't want to keep the popularity in a blog post they want to pass that popularity to the top categories subcategories product pages the, the money making pages right so mm -hmm. that is why it's critical that the, this blog post uh, internally linked to the actual category pages or product pages are selling that product to pass the value from that page, mm -hmm. the, the value that this page uh, is receiving from external links, links pointing from other websites, they, they pass that value internally to, to, to the page that is meant to be ranked, right? So internal link popularity, um, optimization, right. yeah, is, is critical here. And then, of course, uh, improving the way that, and facilitating the way that Google will crawl you and accessing the content, a really well good structure and uh, navigation, hierarchical type of navigation um, is critical. So Google can go through the different levels of the website. So maybe mm -hmm. that facet page that seems to be very well hidden, but it's very important because indeed it's targeting a money-making type of term, uh, receives a link, an important link from the homepage, and, and it's found much more easier by Google right when you publish about it. 
Yeah. Right. And right. it keeps the people Brandon, there longer. Oh, go ahead, Marissa. It keeps them go ahead, there. It keeps them there longer too. So that Google is like, oh, this is a valuable site because people are looking at this blog post and going to the e-commerce, then maybe looking at an info page, a size charge, what, whatever. And that will definitely help too. Cause that's, it's all factored into your SEO. Okay. Now, Brendan, when you're optimizing specifically for podcasts, are there certain keywords you should use? Are there certain keywords you should avoid? Are there, what are some ways that you can bulk up the content on the page in order to let Google know that this might be something that people want to check out? Yeah. Um, so like kind of a, a meta point that I was just thinking about um, as the other speakers were talking is that search engine optimization can be tricky, but if you can always remember that you're just talking to a robot, that's who you're communicating with really. And you need to be as blunt and literal and obvious to that. The more obvious you are to the robot, the better chance that the robot will understand you. Um, if anyone has Alexa or a Google home, like, if you use nuance, it's a lot harder for them to do whatever you want them to do. And so I feel like the same kind of fundamentals go with SEO on your website and all of the stuff that we've talked about with linking. And so like, if you have a link that says um, to buy the new t-shirt, to use the commerce example, to buy a Padaya t-shirt, click here, uh, and you only link click here, well, you're the robot looks at the, looks at the link and says, I don't know what click here is about, I need to follow it and I need to figure it out. If your actual text for the link says, buy our t-shirt by clicking here or just buy our t-shirt, the robot says, oh, I know what this is. This is probably going to be to a t-shirt. And the more times you can reinforce the content that you're linking to um, and then the content that's on the page, the, the more the robot has a, a confidence that, hey, this is this this page is about a t-shirt. So when you click buy our t-shirt and you go to the page and it's a there's a the title of the page is here's our t-shirt and the big the big banner at the top says here our t-shirt, you know, the biggest text of the H1 tag is this is our t-shirt. And then the description's all about t-shirts. Like it's just the robot is constantly reinforced that this is a page about a t-shirt and I should send people to this t-shirt if they're searching for it. So I've, I've seen a few mentions in the comments about audio. So uh, I'm just switching to my, my uh, mixer straight in to see if that makes a difference. I'm not sure whether it's on my end or not. So if I'm slightly out of sync, that's why. But uh, hopefully if there is some issue coming from my end, uh, that will help with it. Yeah. <laughs> so you do certainly, you look better right now, but, um, <laughs> so, so to take that into your question about podcasts though, uh, uh, I think that for a lot of podcast pages, whether you're on pod page or whether you did a WordPress site or, you know, a bunch of the different platforms, the more content about what's in the podcast, what's in the episode that you can put in there in text form, the better. So if it's an audio or it's a video, um, piece of media that you're posting. Yes, like Google actually probably will start looking through and try to get as much content as they can, but make it easy for the robot. And so in in your show notes, have a ver as much information about what you talked about, as much information about what the subject matter was. If you can um, if you can have a transcript made, like we have an area on PodPage where if you want to post a transcript, you can. That always helps with SEO because it's just more more content that Google can look at and say, hey, this this is about, uh, you know, health and wellness about running 10 miles a day or something like that. Right. And if you, if, the tra if all we've talked about is in that transcript, it just reinforces it. So I think for podcasters, because it's an audio format, especially around websites, you have to be thinking like, how do I pull out the content and the keywords from the audio and put them on the page that we want people to be pointed to? 
And th is it is it always um, Marissa or anybody wants to to take this? Is it always more is better, longer? Try and have the definitive article. Uh, you know, if, if you can write five hundred words, write five thousand words. Or is is that a myth or something that maybe worked for a while but doesn't work anymore? Uh, I I think I'm gonna say you know it's very be. I don't know the answer to that. So someone else could take that. But I think I've always followed the, the, or given the advice that you should write what it is about and not just like filler so that you're, you know, exceeding 500 words or getting to 5,000 words. You should write what it's about because the, the jig is up after a while, right? People will start realizing that you're just making a blog post with yeah, like, I mean, I'm not asking stuff. about like keyword, like if you yeah. don't have 5,000 words to write mm -hmm. and you only have 500, but if you know you, it's a topic in which you do have a lot of knowledge, would mm -hmm. you say write more, uh, Aleda or, or Brendan? Mm -hmm. Yes, I think that as usually Nessio, and this is an answer that you will get a lot. It depends, right? right, right. It depends a lot, especially <laughs> on the nature of, of, of the query, right? As mm -hmm. you mentioned, if, if this is an informational type of query that requires mm -hmm. a lot of in-depth because it's a complex type of issue, if you go through the top 10 ranked pages there, you will see that these are tend to be long form type of blog posts or articles because it's a complex topic that and there's so much to talk about to actually specify and go through all of it. So, for example, if we were uh, publishing a guide about how to optimize for YouTube, this can be five K words very easily. Right. And mm. if you go and take a look and, and validate, and this is what I will recommend for any query that you want to rank for and want to have a reference of how much uh, content you actually need to, to to feature in order to be competitive there, take a look at the average number of words of those top ranked pages to see what what Google is uh, endorsing or, or giving more or highlighting, right? Uh, the other type of content, like e-commerce type of content or transactional type of content, if these are category pages or product pages, well, these pages by nature, they won't feature as much content, right? And, uh, and, and because they they don't need they don't need them right and and you will likely see that indeed it's not necessarily the the length by the length of content and the number of content but actually fulfilling the need of the user and addressing the intent uh, of, of the user indeed but i will say highly recommended take a look at the average number of words of the top ranked pages out there there are tools that do this by the way uh cognitive seo they have really nice feature that you add any query any country, uh, the the device, and they will give you like a summary of the top 20 rank pages. And they will tell, tell you this is the average number of, of, of words of these pages, the number of times that semantically connected terms are included within the content, because again, this content needs to be optimized. It's not content by, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and then the average number of links and linking domains, linking websites that are pointing to that particular page, showing how popular do you need to be realistically, how competitive it is that query. Okay, Brendan, now we've we've established some of the things that we need to be doing to have good SEO uh, for our websites and to get people to watch and listen to our content. How do we measure if, besides obviously searching Google, are there tools or ways that you measure? Are there certain... Uh, you know, a few metrics you look at, how do you know if you're, success, you're having success with your SEO efforts and how long will it take to see success show up 
if you do the right things, how long does it take Google or other search engines to index that? Yeah, I'd be, I'd be really interested, looking forward to hearing the other panelists' responses to this. I think that um, it depends is a great answer for any question asked in this whole area, <laughs> as, as was already mentioned. Um, I, you know, what? so what I found, okay, so uh, every page that is built on PodPage just comes naturally like sort of SEO over-optimized. And um, so they all kind of are equal, equal footing from that sense. Uh, there's no page on the platform that is better for SEO than another one necessarily from a structural standpoint. The thing that I've noticed the most on how, and then we submit when someone publishes, we submit it to Google and try to get it to get indexed and all that stuff. But um, it varies about how quickly it shows up on Google. And one of the big things that's already been mentioned is if if someone publishes a pod page um, website and then just sits back and waits to have traffic and doesn't do anything, it's going to take a while for Google to start moving it up the rankings. Um, unless it's a very obscure topic and they're the only content on the internet for it, but if it's somewhat competitive, but if they're out there sharing their link and getting other people to link to them and putting it in their um, podcast RSS feed as the official website and the episode link is their website episode link, not their host web. You know, if they're doing the work to what we've already talked about is getting links pointed in, Google sees that as a really good signal that, hey, we should probably index this. And so those people see it faster. It still can take a while. I've seen it take actually a really short amount of time but it also, you know, I've seen some that it takes months for it to really show up. So that's like lengthwise. As far as tracking, for me, I try to not overthink things, um, sort of in the same, like the beginning, it's like think you're talking about a robot and just make decisions based on that. With this, like I use Google Analytics. Um, I think it's a really nice, free, easy to use tool. Um, you throw your analytics tag on your website, you can go in and it shows you, you can break down all the traffic you're getting about how, where it's coming from. So you can see what the percentage is direct, meaning someone found a website link and clicked it versus come through search versus paid ads or whatever you want to do. So mm -hmm. I start there. I, I'd love to hear other other thoughts on that, but th I just that just seems like a simple place to start for me. Yeah, good analytics definitely is fundamental. Then also I was quite impressed with YouTube analytics when I started using much more doing video content because it provides you insights that, for example, Google Analytics won and you will need to go to Google Search Console for, for those, which actually Google Search Console is great too. And uh, I will highly recommend to use it. Like, for example, the, the keywords that were used to find uh, the videos and then you can do things, for example, with uh, the, the YouTube analytics, like which are the topics that generate the more engaged, the highest engagement or, or or the, the the more likes, right? And and then you can identify what your audience actually like um, to to hear about you. And then there are other tools, like for example, I really like Run Ranger, and then there's also AccuRanker because these two tools, these are actually run trackers, SEO run trackers in general. They will show you your own website or any page of your website rankings for any query in Google. But they also have this YouTube video tracking. Uh, functionality included. So, as, for example, Ram Ranger will tell you exactly if you have a YouTube channel connected to your website, where in the video carousel in the Google Search Console your video, your YouTube video is, how is it switching day by day, and which are the other players, the other websites are, your competitors that are there. So you can learn from there and understand better how it fluctuates, what Google is endorsing more or less. And you can learn by doing that to improve further, to improve better your next videos too. Marissa? Yeah, um, I'm just soaking it all in because like you guys <laughs> are like more experienced with this uh, than me because it's, I focus a lot on SEO when it comes to how you optimize it for a social platform. So mm -hmm. when you're posting on that and all that. So 
So, I mean, so let's talk about Facebook Live. Yeah. I, I think that's where the majority of people mm -hmm. live stream or is a mm -hmm. primary, one of their primaries, even if they're multi-streaming. Yeah. Because uh, Alayda talked a little bit about uh, YouTube. Uh, mm -hmm. And YouTube SEO is probably its own panel and its own subject matter because yeah. it, it can get very detailed and complicated. Right. But for a Facebook post, if you want that Facebook post to have the most organic reach possible, you're, you're, you're promoting your show that's going to happen on your Facebook page. What are mm -hmm. some, some do's or don'ts for, for that content? Yeah, I think, you know, um, I think I mentioned it before about when you create your description, make sure it's very descriptive in terms of what this show is about, when you're scheduling it, uh, when it's going to come up. As far as I understand, um, the Facebook platform is very, you know, it doesn't really show up in like the bigger search engines. Um, but the, pl the platform that I use mostly, uh, the two ones are YouTube and LinkedIn. And I know LinkedIn is very uh, good with that when it comes to finding videos or really optimizing what your video is about so that you can um, be found um, using hashtags and um, also then repurposing that video for later on. Um, so to your question about you know what you need to optimize there, I think it should be, again, like I said, what is that video about? Keep it very, you know, like I think you can look at the example of this show exactly. You mentioned all of our guests, you tagged our pages, we're able to share it as well. So that does help optimize the reach. Um, you know, how quickly, how far in advance are you scheduling it? How far are you promoting it to the point where other people are able to share it and uh, increase the popularity? Um, there's a lot of different ways to, to optimize that when it comes to the pre-show uh, on Facebook. And then also having, I mean, I produce shows for people, so I'm not on the screen, right? And so right. the producer, you know, as a, as a producer, I'm able to then share it while you're live. You're speaking, like if Ross, you were speaking in the beginning, like as a producer, I would be sharing it and tagging people uh, to get people to watch live. But also then once it's done, you know, someone a few hours later might see it. So going back and engaging with those people. And I think there's a lot of different, you know, tactics that, you know, that's a whole nother show, like right, you right, said, right, right. when it comes to that. But, you know, just being very, I think people are, uh, they like the fact that they can do a Facebook Live or a YouTube Live or go live and okay. But then they get intimidated when they see all these other things that they need to do to promote it and optimize it and stuff. But I think if you're very, focused on what your end goal is, then um, you can do it in steps and not feel like, oh my God, I'm just not going to do it because it's too much to do. Okay. Quick <laughs> answers on, on this one. Biggest myth about SEO. What's the, we know there's some out there and crazy theories and <laughs> things that are very much in the popular culture about SEO and they're not true. They don't work. They, they're <laughs> Duplicate content penalty? Is that one of them? I, you guys, you, Brendan, start with you and uh, Marissa and Aleda. Wow. Um, I think uh, maybe going and posting your link in the comment section on a bunch of different blogs and just basically spamming other people's websites with a link to your website, even though it sort of checks the box on a backlink that comes back to your website, yeah. like the robot knows when it's fake. So, right. um, yeah. 
that would uh, be the number one. That's a good one, Marissa. Mine is um, that SEO is a one-time project mm-hmm. and not an on- ongoing. People like, oh, do you do SEO and how much is that? You're like, okay, like we got to <laughs> think about like all the other things. What have you done? What are you doing? What's your plan? You know, stuff like that. I think uh, it is a very it is very complex, but you can focus on one small thing and grow it as you know, as, as you become more familiar with it, I think it's not something that you can just like Brendan said, like check a box. Okay. I did it. I did SEO. I put my meta tags. Mm-hmm. I'm good. You know? So. Elena? Yeah. 100%. I, I do believe that that is potentially one of the most popular misconceptions, especially since I am very well aware of what is offered in the SEO world, that you see those SEO packages for, I don't know, 99 99 per month things like that it doesn't work like that in order for the for the process to be successful it needs to be um integrated within your product it needs mm-hmm. to take into consideration the context of your company your constraints business technical related at everything so it actually makes sense the traffic that you end up uh, uh attracting is traffic that will convert well that makes sense for your particular product um and, 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 and services, right? So I will say it's, SEO is not a one-trick pony. And it's important that you consider and integrate, well, right from the start, right when you are starting, right? To do things like, like this one, so identify potential topics that you want to cover, uh, structure your website uh, right away well, uh, because mm-hmm. otherwise it will be much, much harder later on, a couple of years later, to have to redesign or or migrate or consolidate structural areas of your site that that takes much more work so i will say start from the start uh, from from when you are starting before launching your website as when you are talking with your designer you should be validating that design that web structure with an seo right mm-hmm. that is critical that is definitely fundamental okay yeah here's a here's a quick one uh this comes from our guest last week uh the founder of Pot it, uh, Brett Basham, and he asks, does it matter uh, or hurt you if you use a .NET versus a .com or any other top-level domain? No, at this at this point, it doesn't have any effect. Uh, what is important is you attract from from an authority perspective, right? You, you attract mm-hmm. the right links from other highly profile, highly authoritative type of websites. What I do have seen, though, and it's important to note, I think, uh, is that a lot of websites, because they want, I don't know, maybe want to seem a little bit edgy or whatever, they end up buying CCTLDs, which are country codes extensions. So, right. for example, um, .is for Iceland, right? And then don't realize that the whole website is by default geolocated towards <laughs> Iceland. And then they, they wonder why they don't rank well in the US or globally, right? It's like, mm-hmm. it's because it's by default geolocated to a particular country, right? So it is important mm-hmm. to verify well and uh, that your domain is actually generic if you want to target a worldwide audience, right? Right. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I, the only thing I'd say is that there's so many um, there's so many domain extensions now. If you go to Google domains and search, there's hundreds of them and you can get credit. I mean, there's .ninja, there's .club, there's, <laughs> a, there's a lot, there's .restaurant. And I think mm-hmm. that, I think over time it'll be kind of normal, but I still think the average person is better off with a .com if possible. Yeah. Uh, it, the the robots might not care, but I think people actually do. And so, you know, mm-hmm. if you have a chance 
to have like if you're if you're uh, there's a podcast on Podpage called Neighbors, and so they can't get Neighbors.com, but I think they got NeighborsPodcast.com, and I think NeighborsPodcast.com is way better than yeah. Neighbors podcast club yeah yeah or, yeah, yeah. So. exactly <laughs> Name yeah. That audio and just easier to remember <laughs> and it's that, the trust that it gives also yeah. to people and yeah. i think you know you have to think about the person that is typing that in that might not know like we're connected we understand that you know if you don't get it on the dot com maybe there's something else you know we'll type it in because we're those types of people but someone looking for a podcast you want to make it simple and make it you know Oh, neighborspodcast.com. And that does that go to your YouTube, a website, a pod page page? You know, like what does that go to and make it easier for people to find it so that the traffic is going there? Um, and that, and you know, integrating it into your socials too, like not having <laughs> all these weird domains and, st and you know, right, people right. will, will not type dot podcast because they don't understand that that's a domain, mm -hmm. you know, so. Um, for people who, um, they have a podcast, they have a live stream show and they don't have a lot of time, right? So their show notes are very similar from one to the next. They basically copy their bio. They throw in a guest bio, which they've usually copied word for word. And they add, uh, they change the topic in the generic sentence that, that runs about what it's about. They change a few bullet points. And so it's a very, a lot of very similar copy, uh, they may have the same links to the same products or the same description about their business in addition to their bio and their guest bio. Is, is there any concern with like, oh, you've got 18 or 1800 blog posts of basically the same content? Is that, a, is that something to be concerned about? Or there's nothing wrong with putting your bio, your business bio and all that on every page that you, you write about your, your, your podcast? It, as long as you actually add the specifics that was discussed in that podcast, podcast, it doesn't matter, right? Because that is actually going to be like template, like boilerplate type of, of information because it's about you. Yeah, you are you are adding your signature, your authorship, and that's it. But mm -hmm. it, so it won't matter. But of course, it's important that that page is, is not empty, that that is the only information that can be found there. It, it also needs to feature the actual information, the text, the description, the the that that the 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 specific episode cover right right and is it yeah. is it okay if you do that maybe in a sentence or two in a couple of bullet points or should it be there's a certain number of paragraphs you should have with new content for it to be of of any value to a search engine i mean the good news is that if you put the guest bio in so think about Google or a robot moving from page to page. If every single page has a has your bio on it, the host bio, essentially they'll just ignore that because they're like, well, this isn't helpful for me to know page A from page B. But if each sec each page has a different guest bio, they'll that's what they're going to think that the thing's about is about the guest. And so you just like imagine all the content that's repeated is gone, and what's left if it, if all that's left is one sentence. It's going to be really hard for a robot to take that sentence and understand what the whole page right, is about. Right, right. right? Um, it doesn't need to be a novel, but you know, mm -hmm. I think everyone has enough time to write a little paragraph. Um, mm -hmm. so. <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> I, and then let me ask you real quick, Brendan, from PodPage's perspective, um, link shorteners, when people, let's say, you know, it could be for PodPage, could be for your own website, right? You know, the, the title of the episode is how podcasters can benefit from SEO, right? Mm -hmm. And then you do a link shortener as a 301 redirect, which is like 
the name of your podcast.com slash EP23 or something like that so that it's easy to put on Instagram, to flash on a screen. Uh, does that make any difference if you're using a redirect and you're posting that redirect publicly uh, a lot and using it a lot elsewhere versus the original fully descriptive uh, URL? Um, from what I understand, because that, that redirect is going to push you to the fully descriptive URL, it's just kind of ignored. It's like, cool, someone's linking to this page, but this redirect isn't the, isn't the link that we're going to tell people about because it just pushes you over to this other page. So, so it's there's that's wrong with having a lot of redirect pages, right? Well, that's a <laughs> careful <laughs> uh, there. Yeah. Okay. I think yeah. I think if because sometimes if you go to a, a page and you'll like look at your your bar and it's just like flipping through all of the different tracking programs. Like, you know, Google wants it to be a good user experience and doesn't want a bunch of like they want fast page load times. They want all you know they want it to look good on mobile. They want the end user's experience to be a good one. And so if they have to choose between you who's sending people through 15 redirects versus someone else who's sending people through one, they're probably going to take the other person if they think the content otherwise is similar. Also, um, there are different type of redirects. So for example, if it is a 201 redirect that is permanent, the value is passed. So if it is a single redirect, 201 is okay. But if you have four or five redirects uh, when you click in, in a single link, right? And these redirects are not even 301, 301, but 302, 202 redirects, which are not permanent, but temporary. These don't pass the same value, right? Mm -hmm. And and you really want to make sure that, well, any anybody who links, even yourself, right, from any other website, are, are the value is passing uh, so as much as possible. one redirect yeah. per blog post is okay, but five redirects per blog post would be a terrible idea. It's, it's not about per blog, blog post. Uh, I will say that if, if you have a link uh, po uh, pointing to your blog post, for example, as much as possible, you want to make it a direct link. If that is not possible and you need to redirect because of some reason, a tracker or whatever, then let's make sure that that, that uh, is a single redirect that is 201 so it passes value, not multiple chain type of redirects or 202 redirects. There's a question in the chat. Explain what what a redirect is. Can can one of you guys give a, a real quick brief description of how you would characterize it? Uh, I'll give it like uh, if someone's signing up as a guest, they do guest.neighborspodcast.com and it goes to like a, a page or something. And that's redirecting to some longer thing and makes it easier. That's a simple way it's to easy say. To remember. Yeah. Or like if it's neighborspodcast.com slash episode. 27 and that episode new episode and that goes to like the newest episode so brendan you wanted to jump in on well i mean discussion? an area that you uh that most people hear redirects because redirects are used all the time for podcasters because it's just you don't have a screen for people to click on so you need to make the link as simple as possible to listen right. to and type in and so <laughs> we hear this on podcasts all the time you might say oh like Hey, thanks for listening to my podcast. Uh, today's sponsored by StreamYard. Go to mypodcast.com slash StreamYard. And when you go to that URL, you don't generally don't see something there. Your your location bar immediately switches to streamyard.com slash you know, sign up yeah. or whatever. So mm -hmm. that's what a redirect is. Um, right. Yeah, so the, for the person that was asking. I, I think <laughs> the only other thing I was going to say is that you think always put yourself in the user's perspective and mm -hmm. Google tries to do the same thing. And so 
you know, if you even you were saying one redirect is fine, five is bad. If you have five redirects, meaning, and again, this might mean like you go to the site, it sends you to a tracking site. It, it just does a bunch of stuff, but you eventually get there and it only, it's a split second and you don't even notice it as a user. That's going to be a better user experience than if you go and you have one redirect, but it hits, hits a site that takes a long time to load and basically hangs there for five seconds. And so right. you just, it, it needs to happen quickly. So like the example you use, so every pod page has a, every episode is like mypodcast.com slash interview with Brendan. It's just, that's the URL that we create automatically. But if it's episode three, you can say mypodcast.com slash three, and it just immediately moves over. So that doesn't really hurt the person because it's right. just right away. But if it's sending it to a different server in a different part of the world and it's a slow, you know, all that stuff just hurts the user experience, which then mm -hmm. makes it a little less uh, attractive to Google listing it mm -hmm. to the top. Right. Marissa, uh, we're just about out of time. Tell us a little bit how people can find you and um, what you're what you're going to be up to if there's anything uh, you want them to look for out sure. there as you do live producing. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to give you a redirect to, to go to my LinkedIn. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, Perfect link, LinkedIn.allthesocial.com will take you right to my LinkedIn and uh, send me your connection requests. And that's my preferred platform for connecting. Um, and I am working on a uh, StreamYard producers program uh, oh, with wow. StreamYard. I don't know if you saw that, but um, yeah, so we are... We are Team StreamYard, Ross and I, right now. Um, that just started today, actually. So, um, wow. yeah, so that's what I'm working on and doing continuous live stream uh, podcasts and stuff like that. And you can find out all about that on my LinkedIn um, at linkedin.allthesocial.com. Later. Crawling Mondays, what's that? Indeed. And tell indeed. us how, how we can find you and uh, your show and uh, your company. Yes, well, you can find me uh, through my website, aleidasolis.com. But besides that, I am uh, very active. Uh, usually, I, I send every week a newsletter that is called SEO FOMO in case you want to keep updated on everything happening, any release, any Google update, uh, new articles, how-tos, whatever. I send that uh, weekly newsletter, SEO FOMO. And then I also have Crawling Mondays, which is my YouTube slash podcast uh, where I cover hot SEO topics with other specialists that I invite, uh, for example, about structured data, about e-commerce SEO, um, video, YouTube SEO, for example. So we cover a topic every every week too. And then I am also very active in Twitter, Adelaida, where I'm always sharing SEO resources that I find uh, also very useful. You can follow me there at Aleida too. Thank you. Cool. Brendan, tell us about PodPage. Uh, so yeah, if you want to find me, if you go to podpage.com, uh, and spin up a website for your podcast, it's totally free. And when you do that, you'll get an email from me that you can reply to. And you also get an invite to a private Slack channel with all the different people that are using PodPage and kind of sharing website tips. Um, that's the easiest and most direct way to get to me. Can that's you it. explain just a little bit more about PodPage? Because I think it's a service. It's a website that a lot of people here who have podcasts, a lot of people take their live streams and rip the audio and make a podcast from it could benefit from from using. Yeah, totally. Um, so the, the goal of it is if you're making con if you're creating content, the last thing you want to be doing is spending a ton of time worrying about your website or worrying about a bunch of the different like that kind of thing. So we're trying to take a lot of weight off of um, the maintenance of that 
that type of service. So with PodPage, you already have an RSS feed for your podcast. You come and you you search for your podcast, you select it, and we pull all the content from your RSS feed. We create a fully customizable website. We keep it up to date. Just all happens. It's sort of a set it and forget it type service. And you can go in and you can make tons of design customizations and make it look and feel like your brand. Um, put it at your own domain and launch it. And that's that's kind of that's your website. You can collect email addresses. You can have a contact form. Um, we integrate with every podcast host and we have a ton of integrations with marketing tools. And so the main goal is if you want a website that's better than your podcast host gives you, a lot of them give you a nice website, but it's fairly basic. But you don't want to have to deal with figuring out WordPress. Um, you sign up and it kind of does everything for you. So totally free uh, to start and, you know, uh, give it a try and let me know if you have any feedback. So. Sounds great. Thank, Thank you, Aleda. Thank you, Marissa. Thank you, Brendan. It's it's awesome having you guys on the show. And it's such a rich topic. We could we could probably continue another time with a part two. So mm -hmm. thank you all so much. I really appreciate having you on. Thank, thank you. you. All right. So StreamYard Connect, that was our SEO, our first panel. Did you enjoy that? Would you like to see more panels uh, coming up? Maybe something we do once a month or a couple times a month. Uh, you guys said that it was something you would want when we talked about it uh, about a month ago. So let me know uh, if this is something that you'd like us to make a, a regular part of StreamYard Connect. Um, Marissa and Brendan and Oleda were, were fantastic and uh, so much great information about SEO. Uh, do follow all of them on social and check out their products and services. I'll put links in the description on uh, Facebook and on LinkedIn and on uh, probably do a tweet as well. So you'll have all that stuff if you take a look for it. I uh, want to mention last week uh, we had a great show uh and uh, we had uh, Brent Basham here, and we had a great conversation, and he asked that question in the chat. If you haven't had a chance to catch that, check out the replay, as uh, Brent shared a lot about uh, podcast and getting guests for your podcast and getting guests for your live stream shows and how uh, podit.net helps you with that. So check that out. And uh, do join us again next week. It's so great to have you here. Uh, question of the week. What are you doing as far as SEO goes? If you want to share one tip in the chat for uh, what you're doing in SE with SEO and how it's helping you, I will uh, share those on the show next week. We'll mention them early on in the show. Uh, some of the tips from our viewers as well. So thanks again for being here. We had fun. Uh, I hope we had fun uh, showing off the ATEM Mini and what you can do with a multicam production. And we talked about live streaming with Amazon. If you're part of the influencer program, you can do that. We also discussed how you now can have eight destinations that you live stream to when you're multi-streaming with the pro with the pro plan easy for me to say of Streamyard and again a great discussion of SEO with Marissa Callie, Brendan Mulligan of Podpage and Aleda Solis. Thank you all so much. See you next week, Wednesday, 2 p.m. Eastern for another episode of Streamyard Connect. Take care everybody. <laughs>